Man, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And if you're new, I am not the lead pastor. I actually have the honor and privilege of being our next-gen pastor, which if you're not familiar, thank you. You guys are so sweet. But if you're not familiar with that language, what that means is I get to lead and oversee our kids in youth ministry. And so it's uh, just such a special honor to get to be here with you today. The question is, are you ready for Christmas? This is the real question. How many of you are not done shopping yet? Show of hands. Oh, that's a lot. Okay. Um, anybody brave enough to say you haven't started yet? Oh, brutal. I feel bad for you. Amazon's not your friend this year. I, I feel bad for you, but I really feel bad for the people that you're buying for. Because it'd be like, hey, here's a dinner plate and a bag of M&Ms, because that's all that was at the store. This is, this is fun. I want to ask you a couple more uh, Christmas questions. Um, how many of you travel for uh, the holidays? Maybe you drive, anybody drive out of state? Couple, couple, okay, that's a bummer. Uh, um, okay, uh, I see maybe a couple of little kids in here. I'm about to talk about S-A-N-T-A for a second, and if they can spell bummer. Um, <laughs> So maybe cover their ears for a second, or you know, we have beautiful ex-kids ministry, it's designed for them, love to have them back there. Um, uh, how many of you families, Santa comes to your house? Santa brings the gifts. Okay, no, not every family does Santa, but a lot do. Okay, a couple. Um, how many of you have what I, I, I love you, but made the wrong decision to do the elf on the shelf? Couple. Okay, that's one of those things that's like, that seems like such a cute idea. The elf, you know, he'll do fun things. And then it's 1030 at night, December 11th, and you're like, I forgot to move the elf. And uh, this, it's cute, but not for my wife and I. Well, uh, speaking of my wife, uh, she's actually in this experience. Give it up for my wife, Sarah. And we have, uh, we've got two boys. We've got a nine-month-old named Cooper, and then we've got a three-and-a-half-year-old named Milo. And so Christmas now for us is becoming a lot of fun because it's kind of helped us maybe recapture some of the magic of Christmas because to him, everything about Christmas is awesome. The tree's incredible. And, you know, driving through neighborhoods and seeing all, like, the lights and the inflatables, and every time he sees an inflatable Grinch, he loses his mind, which may or may not be why there's an inflatable Grinch in, in kids because I figured if my son likes it, your kids will probably like it too. Um, but it's almost helped my wife and I kind of rekindle that magic part because to a kid, everything about Christmas is just insane. Everything's awesome. The presents, the lights, the songs, the movies, you know, it's all incredible. And if I had to pick a word to kind of summarize what creates that feeling, I would say the word wonder. Wonder. And I would define wonder as kind of that place where amazement, being totally blown away by something and still being curious about it kind of intersect. When you think about the way a kid thinks about Christmas, that's what it is. Oh my goodness, you're telling me there is a man in a red suit that lives at the North Pole with a bunch of tiny elves, and all year long they build toys, and they're always watching me when I sleep and when I'm awake. Even when I think about that, that's kind of creepy. But anyway, they load up a sleigh with all the presents, and somehow he crams all those presents into one thing, and oh, by the way, the sleigh is led by flying reindeer. It's incredible. Yeah, how does that work? It's amazement, curiosity, it's wonder. And would you believe me if I said that wonder is actually an important part of a kid's life and their development, and actually maybe I would say even their faith. 
A few months ago, we finished up our parenting labs, and if you weren't there, just a little plug, we're actually working on making that a digital resource for you and your circle, so in the next year, be on the lookout for that. But one of the things that we learned about a kid's life is that there are three things in their life, or three dials, that we as parents, by turning them up, can actually increase the level of satisfaction that they experience in their life and actually could deepen their faith. And those three things, just quickly, maybe to whet your appetite for when you and your circle are going to go through this next year. The first one is discovery, which affects the way uh, or a child's emotional and moral response to God. The second is passion, which affects the way a child's relationships with others reflects God's love. And then thirdly, any guesses about what that third one might be? You're right, it's fasting. Um, No, it's wonder, which affects a child's imagination and thinking about God. And again, if you think about the way we want our kids to imagine God, it's wonder. It's being totally blown away and amazed by how powerful he is, but yet still understanding that oh, he's still so much bigger than we can even understand, which is exactly why in ex-kids we teach them stories about like how when God parted the Red Sea, oh my goodness, that's incredible, that's amazing, how did he do that? That's insane. It's wonder. And when we can create this sense of wonder about God in a kid's heart and life, we think that that'll actually go on to increase and change the way they view God and in turn the way they perceive their world. That when they come across obstacles, maybe they won't be so intimidated by it because they have this wonderful, amazing, beyond belief God that is walking with them. So wonder is actually a really important part of a kid's life. And to take that a step further, if it's important for a kid's life and faith and development, why isn't it also important for us? Because there's this idea, I think, that that imaginative, playful, creative, wonder part of your brain is just for when you're a kid. That it's to help you, you know, make up games when you're bored and don't have any toys to play with. But then when you grow up, you leave that in childhood. It's time to get serious. And I may argue that that's just not the case at all. And I'd like to talk about wonder today for a few minutes. And I'd actually like to look at the Christmas story for evidence of this. So if you have your Bible or an electronic device, you can go with me to Luke chapter one. And maybe let me clarify what I just said. We, uh, we're going to look at the prequel to the Christmas story. You know, like Star Wars, there's prequels. There's actually a prequel to the Christmas story. You may not know that. So I'm sure whether you've been in church for uh, all your life or maybe not at all, you're maybe at least a little bit familiar with the Christmas story in the Bible where an angel visits Mary, I bring you good news of great joy. That whole story, there was actually something happened right before that with Jesus' relatives. He, has a, he had a cousin named John the Baptist. Maybe you've heard of him before. But his story comes right before the story of Jesus, and we're going to look at that today. So if you are in Luke chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So we've got Zechariah, who is a priest, great guy, great family, his wife, Elizabeth. They want to have kids, but they can't, and they're getting old. To skip forward a little bit in this story, Zechariah was a priest, like I said. It comes time for him to fulfill his duties at the temple. And while he is there, this happens. Verse 11. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. That's Zechariah. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Isn't that funny? Every time in scripture when an angel shows up, they freak out, which 
with reading it, you're like, oh, it's an angel. They're probably nice. Imagine if an angel showed up when you're, you're, you know, brushing your teeth tonight. You'd freak out, lose your mind. And it's always funny. The angel's like, don't be afraid. It's fine. It's okay. Like, all right. Okay. Anyway, he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And then look at this last phrase. This is important. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, what you need to know is that For generations and generations, the Israelites had heard these prophecies, these promises of a coming Messiah, a coming Lord who is going to set his people free. The government was going to be on his shoulders. You probably heard this if you've been in church for a while. They had heard forever. And so not only in this moment is Zechariah told that, hey, you are going to finally have a son. You're going to get to be a dad. But more than that, your son is going to be the one that's going to prepare everyone. They're going to tell everybody that the Messiah you've been waiting for forever is on the way. You'd think he'd lose his mind. You'd think, oh my goodness, this is the greatest day in human history. I don't know whether to cry or laugh or do jumping jacks or do all of them at the same time. But what you also need to know is that this is coming at the end of about 400 years of silence from God. You know, we hold our Bibles here today that the last prophet in the Old Testament is Malachi. You flip a page over and then you're in Matthew. Jesus is on the scene. For us, that's a page turn. For the people in reality, that was 400 to 430 years where not a whole lot happened from God. And so, could you imagine that after generations and generations hearing about this Messiah, and then generations and generations of not hearing anything. You can imagine that with each passing generation, maybe their hope got a little bit smaller, started to lessen and lessen, and maybe could I even say that their wonder, their amazement and curiosity about what's possible, is there a Messiah, oh my goodness. Maybe that got a little bit lower and lower, and I think Zechariah's wonder was running low. And we see this when we look at his response in verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how? You ever felt like God put something on your heart and that was the first thing you said? How? How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Do you love how he doesn't call Elizabeth old? He says, well, I'm old. She's, you know, she's just getting up there. I think it's funny. His first response to what should have been and was incredible news was to first go, uh, how is that possible? I'm not sure. I'm too old for that. And maybe could I say it this way? After generations and generations where wonder was growing weak, Zechariah's wonder kind of like a muscle began to atrophy and weaken. So maybe say it this way, and maybe if you take notes, write this down, that low wonder leads to high worry. When your wonder tank runs low, your first response is going to be to worry. And I mean low wonder in two ways. I mean, literally his wonder tank was running low, but I also think it's possible for you to aim your wonder at things. And your wonder, which we talked about earlier, was meant to think about and imagine a God that's so big we can't even fully understand him. When you take that wonder and aim it low, it leads to worry. And if you look at his response, why did he say it's not possible? I'm too old. He took his wonder, which should have thought about what is God, what is possible for God to do, and shifted it low and said, how can God do that in this circumstance? I'm too old. His wonder was aimed too low. 
He took his eyes off of the one that could and does do anything and everything we can imagine. Proverbs 29, 18 in the message paraphrase says this, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. And I think this is what Zechariah was doing in this moment where he should have been overjoyed. He begins to stumble over, no, I'm too old. How is this possible? I can't be sure of this. Uh, Elizabeth, she's not old, but you know, she's, she's up there in years. He took his eyes off of the one that should have led him to wonder. And one more thing that I want to point out. We've talked about this verse already, but I want to put it back up. Luke 1, 6. It says, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Zechariah, in this moment, was a priest and actually at church serving. What does that tell me? That you can come to this room, sit here every single week, be in a circle, serve, and your wonder still run low? That on the surface you can be doing everything right, but internally your wonder is atrophying like a muscle that you don't use? Low wonder leads to high worry. Let's fast forward a little bit. So Zechariah, after this exchange, is told by the angel, hey, because you doubt it, you're not going to be able to speak until this happens. He goes home. I assume use some kind of tablet or something to tell Elizabeth what happened because he can't talk. She does become pregnant. Well, fast forward five months. And something important happens at this five-month mark because this is when Mary, who was Elizabeth's cousin, was visited by the angel. That's Mary, the mother of Jesus, the story we know. I bring you good news of great joy and glad tidings. We talked earlier, I don't know what a tiding is. If uh, you know what it is, come tell me later. But I bring you a glad tiding. It's like we talked about, you know, tide detergent. That's when you do laundry. I'm tiding this. <laughs> it took a second, but you got it. So five months later, Mary is visited by the angel, and then this happens. We pick up the story in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. That's John the Baptist. Leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. You see, Elizabeth's response in this moment was profoundly different than Zacharias just five months earlier. And I would argue that maybe Elizabeth's wonder would have been the same as Zacharias, but after Zechariah comes home and he can't speak, and she's like, hey, that's not actually half bad. And then she does become pregnant. And she sees these things playing out before her eyes. Maybe her wonder was refilled a little bit. And so her response in this moment was different. She goes on to give glory to God about, oh my goodness, I'm so blessed that the mother of my Lord would come here. What she could have easily written off as, oh, he kicked or he stretched or the enchiladas last night were too spicy. I don't know. She, maybe because her wonder was a little bit higher, she saw it more than the natural. And so maybe I'll say it this way, that high wonder leads to high worship. If low wonder leads to high worry, then high wonder leads to high worship. And again, I mean this two ways, that when your wonder tank is refilled, you're gonna naturally start giving glory to God. But when your wonder, when your eyes are fixed on where they belong and not pulled into every other thing, then you're gonna result in worship. So high wonder leads to high worship. Well, fast forward again a few more months. Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist. We pick up the story again in verse 59. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, because that would have been normal for this time. But then his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. 
They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father, who again, Zechariah, still at this point, cannot talk. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And look what happens in verse 64. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, doing what? Praising God. Do you think that maybe Zachariah's eyes over the last nine months of seeing, oh my goodness, I can't talk, that's really weird. And oh, my wife did become pregnant. And oh, my cousin Mary, she's talking about how she was visited by an angel too. Maybe his wonder was a little bit refilled. Or maybe I could say it this way, wonder can be refocused. Wonder can be refocused. And I wonder if Zachariah was here to maybe speak from his experience if he wouldn't echo the words of Paul in Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, what does that mean? The eyes of your heart. I think he's speaking to that part of us that wonders, that part of us that dreams about things unseen, that part of us that imagines a God that our minds can't comprehend. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Why? In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Your wonder can be refocused. And I wonder if there are some of us in here that allowed our wonder to be aimed on things low. I know in a room this size that you're facing some battles and that maybe cute preachery talk doesn't help you handle the situation that's right before you. But could I just maybe encourage you that your perspective in whatever situation you're walking through can be shifted by how you steward your wonder. That if you're walking into your situation saying, oh, how is this ever going to be okay? How's, how is God ever going to turn into this too? Oh, what is going to be possible for God to do in this? I know that you can do anything and everything, so I'm just going to be here along for the ride, trusting that you can turn anything and everything for my good and your glory. What are you wondering about? Your wonder can be refocused. And uh, I was talking with a friend of mine this week and kind of bouncing some uh, ideas off of him about what I wanted to share today. And so we're talking about wonder and refocusing or reinvigorating your wonder. And he said something that in the moment kind of passed me by as like a passing phrase, but then the more I thought about it, the more I, it really resonated with me. He said, when I think about refilling my wonder, I think about being surrounded with beauty. And when you think about when you go places like the Grand Canyon and you sit there at this huge, awe-inspiring landscape, that fills your wonder a little bit. Oh my goodness, this is insane. And so what you are looking at matters when it comes to wonder. What you are focusing on matters when it comes to wonder. And so I've got three steps today for refocusing your wonder because I'm willing to bet that you're surrounded by wonder all the time, but maybe you're not looking for it. So three steps to refocusing your wonder. And if you take notes, maybe you write these down. The first one is look up. Look up. And I'm going to mean each one of these in two ways. I mean literally in this sense, look up, not at the ceiling, that's weird. But when was the last time you looked out at the stars? Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And maybe you're like me, I remember when I was a kid, I used to look at the sky a lot more. And maybe that was because back when I was a kid, smartphones and tablets weren't a thing, so when you're on a long car ride, the only thing you really could do was stare out the window at the sky. But I remember even playing outside and looking up at the stars or looking up at a sunset and just being, whoa, that's really cool. But maybe when we're adults, we start to just get used to it. 
Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's another sunset. Cool. I'm not on vacation, so I'm not going to look at it right now. And maybe we're missing beauty hanging over our heads all the time. My favorite movie is the movie Interstellar, um, where uh, Matthew McConaughey plays the lead role of a guy named Cooper, which just so happens to be the inspiration for my son's name, Cooper. I really like that movie. Um, he says this, and I, w- and I wonder if this wouldn't describe some of us here today. He says, we used to look up at the sky and wonder about our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. Come on, when, you want to do something that'll hurt your brain? Try this tonight. Go outside, put a jacket on, because it'll be negative 500, and just look up. And think about, with all modern science and all the technology we have, we haven't found the end of that yet. That it just goes and goes and goes, and try to wrap your mind around that, which you can't, but just try Think about how there are millions and millions of galaxies out there that we may not even ever find. Look up. That's incredible. And I know maybe you don't have time to do that, so I want to help you look up here today. I want to take a little tour of the Milky Way galaxy for a second, if that's okay. Even if it's not okay, we're going to do it anyway, so I hope you're ready. Let's go to the Mystic Mountains. Look at that. This is real, by the way. I know that looks like an artist rendering, but that's actually a composite image taken from Hubble in 2010. This is actually hidden, that you have to do some telescope trickery, I don't understand, to actually see this. It's hidden by the Carnean Nebula, and that tallest spire there on the right is three light years long, which don't even get me started on how miles when we go to space have no bearing at all. We use light years, which is how fast light travels in a year, which again, try to wrap your mind around that for a second, and then wrap your mind around the fact that we use them in million increments when we're talking about space. This is actually located relatively close, uh, 7,500 light years away, which again, when we're talking about space, is just right up the street. Let's come a little closer to home, to the Helix Nebula. This is often called God's eye, or the eye of the universe, for obvious reasons. It's actually created by that star, the single dot in the middle is a star that's dying, and as it's dying, it's releasing gas, and as that gas expands and cools, it creates those colors. This is actually just literally right around the corner from us, 700 light years away. And again, this is another composite from Hubble, which by the way, I'm sure you're all already aware of this, but just in case you missed it, if you like this kind of stuff, Hubble actually this month, probably this week, is launching a brand new telescope called the James Webb Telescope, and it's actually 100 times more powerful than Hubble, so I know you're just losing your minds over that. It's really exciting. But you think about for the majority of human history, we haven't had the ability or the technology to even see this stuff, and yet it's out there. Why? Because Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God, and maybe they're out there drawing us to wonder about their creator. We are surrounded by beauty all the time, constantly hanging over our heads, but maybe we have shifted our focus too low, and we've spent our time worrying about our place in the dirt instead of maybe wondering about our place in the stars and the God that created them with a word. So look up. And again, I said, I mean that in two ways. You know, throughout scripture, we're reminded all the time to fix our eyes on things unseen. 
We're reminded to fix our eyes on the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Why are we reminded that so much? Shouldn't that be obvious? I think God knows that we're easily distracted. We easily can pull our eyes off of what they should be on. And so when was the last time you intentionally looked back up at your creator? I love the words of that song. When you look fully in his wonderful face, the things of earth grow strangely dim. And it's not that all your problems go away, but maybe when you get a fuller picture of who God is, your problems by perspective become a little bit smaller and become reorganized and reprioritized to where they should be when God is at the top. So look up. Next, look around. Look around. What I'm about to say, at some point when we were all kids, we learned. And it blew our minds. And then when we got, again, we got a little bit older. And maybe that wonder part of us started to die a little bit. And it doesn't amaze us maybe the way it should. Where you're sitting right now is insane. I don't mean this building. But I mean you're sitting on a rock that's suspended in space. Or if you're a flat earth person, you're suspended on a disc that has everything on top of it. But is still suspended. But Whatever. You're suspended on a rock in space. And by the way, that rock is tilted and spinning. So even though you think you're standing straight up and down, you're probably like this. But because of gravity, it holds us all in the right way. And by the way, we're also held in by the flame ball that we call the sun's gravity. And we just so happen to be the perfect distance away from it to where we don't spontaneously burst into flames or freeze to death. Although in central Ohio, both of those happen in the same day. (laughs) And by the way... Our solar system is actually part of a smaller neighborhood that we call the Milky Way Galaxy, which, oh, by the way, is also spinning. You think you're sitting still right now. You're moving thousands of miles an hour. And, oh, by the way, our Milky Way Galaxy is what we believe rotating a supermassive black hole, which don't even get me started on black holes. They just suck matter and light and everything in. We don't know where any of it goes. We can speculate that somewhere in the galaxy there's a white hole just throwing up stuff into space all the time. But we haven't found one, so we don't know where any of it goes. Come on, look around. That's incredible. At one point in our childhood, that was just like, whoa. But now it's like, yeah, whatever. So what do you want to eat for dinner tonight? I'm thinking Chinese. Come on, look around. That's insane. That should draw us to wonder about the God that just spoke that into existence. Come on. But also, I don't know if you've noticed recently, and, it, and I'll be fair, I'll give you some grace. It is tough to remember this when we live in central Ohio in December, but this little rock that we live on is a beautiful place. And so let's take a little tour of our space rock for a second. Let's go see some Christmas magic at the Aurora Borealis. And I'm not going to show you anything that you haven't seen already. But maybe I hope and it's my prayer that maybe you could rekindle that childlike wonder for a second and see this stuff for the first time because we live surrounded by beauty. Science would say that this is created because particles leave the sun's atmosphere the right kind of way. Again, I'm not a scientist. I don't really know. And interact with our atmosphere just the right way. I think we have just scienced away Christmas magic that emanates from the North Pole. Come on, somebody. Um, let's go to a warmer climate. Let's go to Arizona, to Monument Valley. That's beautiful. It's flat desert with huge outcroppings of rocks standing there. What are they doing? Reflecting back the glory of God. Let's go cold again. Let's go to Nepal. The Himalayas, giant, snow-covered giants. This is as close to space as you can get from our tiny little rock. 
Let's go to the next one. Hmm. We're supposed to be on Earth. We've accidentally transported to the forest moon of Endor from the Star Wars universe. This is actually the Redwoods in California. This is what George Lucas used to create the forest moon of Endor in Star Wars. Um, which, if you haven't seen Star Wars, um, see Star Wars. What are you doing? Um, let's go to the last one. This is just because this is where we all wish we were right about now. Fiji. Come on, look around. We're surrounded by beauty all the time, but maybe we're moving too quickly to see it. We're too busy. Oh, I got to get to work, and I got to get the kids, and I got to pay this bill, and I got to do this. And maybe we don't stop and wonder about what we're surrounded by all the time. But again, I mean this in maybe a more spiritual sense as well. Not only look around at the beauty, the physical beauty that you are surrounded by, but maybe when was the last time you looked around and had an eye out for the miracles that you're surrounded by? Because I'm willing to bet that God is moving in and through your life and around you all the time, but maybe some of us are moving too fast to actually see it. And you're going to have to reflect on your own life. I can't do that for you. But just for the life of our church, I thought of two things immediately. We need to go no further than what happened in this very room last Sunday, where dozens and dozens of families came forward to give beyond themselves, to give sacrificially, to be a part of a movement that's bigger than any one of us, that's bigger than anything we could imagine, to see lives and hearts changed by the message of the gospel. Come on, that's not normal. Look around. That's a miracle. That doesn't happen everywhere. But we could be so tempted to just say, well, that's just church. Come on. You got to have more wonder than that. Come on, that's insane. That's incredible. That's inspiring. And then maybe we need to go no further than what's going to happen. Again, right here in this room, right in front of our eyes, starting on Tuesday with our Christmas experiences. We are believing that dozens of people who right now, as we're speaking, are far from God. Think that God hates them. Think that God's mad at them. Think that if they step into a church that the roof is going to collapse on them. And because you invite them or a family member invites them, they're going to come and sit in this room. Maybe in the seat that you're sitting in. And the creator of everything and more that we just looked at is going to have a quiet, intimate moment with their hearts and their lives and eternities are going to be changed. Come on, look around. Look around. That's not normal. That should lead us to a place of wonder. So look up, look around, and then finally look within. Look within. St. Augustine is quoted as saying this, men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. You ever think about how science, there's so much resources trying to find the ends of the universe, and yet we haven't even found the end of the human soul yet? Do you know that this vehicle that you drive around, we call a body, is full of miracles? Let me give you one real quick. Do you know your eye is a miracle? The fact that you can see is a miracle, even though maybe if you're like me, you can't see without glasses or contacts, it is still a miracle. When I learned this, it exploded my head. So when you're five months along in your mother's womb, about where John the Baptist was in our story earlier, that a million, a million nerve endings leave your eye. And at the same time, a million nerve endings leave your brain, each one of them looking for their one match out of a million, one in a million. Makes me think of Dumb and Dumber, so you're telling me there's a chance. 
And when each one of them find their exact match at that moment, you have sight for the first time. And you don't even have eyelids yet. There's just a single flap of skin covering your eye. And then about a month later, this mysterious, miraculous little cutting device shows up, cuts a slit across that piece of skin, and you blink for the first time in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Look within. Yet as miraculously and uh, mysteriously as you and I are created, don't you find it a little curious that all the people we've seen in our culture reach every level of success that you can reach, wealth, fame, all of that, and yet we still hear them say there has to be more. That there's this part of us that longs for something beyond the natural world. Doesn't that make you wonder? So look up, look around, and look within. And not only where you look matters a lot, but how you look matters. How you look matters. A few weeks ago in our movement series, if you're here, we talked about the idea that we are the light of the world. Maybe just for a second, I want to continue that thought. Luke eleven thirty three through 36, and the message paraphrase says this. No one lights a lamp and then hides it in a drawer. It's put on a lampstand so those entering the room have light to see where they're going. That's you and I. We are to be a light to point the way for other people. But look at this. Your eye is a lamp lighting up your whole body. If you live wide-eyed in what? Worry, staring at the ground. If you live wide-eyed in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you leave squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. Keep your eyes open, your lamp burning, so that you don't get musty and murky. I think maybe there are some of us in the room today that have allowed our wonder to get a little murky. That the worries and troubles of life have taken our wonder off of where it belongs and shifted it down here. And I hope today that in the middle of a busy Christmas season, we'll, ta- we'll stop and take a second to evaluate where we're at and look up, look around, look within, look for the wonder that we're surrounded by. Because there's probably a dream that's been put in your heart. There's a hope, there's a goal. And where your wonder is at will approach how you respond to that goal. Because there's a chance that some of us have been called to something bigger than ourselves and we have responded exactly the way Zachariah said. And he said, How is that possible? But if we could get our wonder tank refilled, maybe we would just say, let's go. Let's go. Um, As I said earlier, I have a three and a half year old son named Milo. And uh, if there was a word to describe the way his brain works right now, it is the word wonder. You know, you and I, uh, when we think about having really good ideas or being really creative, we'll talk about getting outside the box. The box doesn't exist in my son's head yet. And about a week ago, he asked me a really strange question, but it gives such a clear picture of how he thinks right now. We're just hanging out, watching a show, doing something. And out of nowhere, he goes, hey, daddy, what's up, buddy? In October, do you want to go to outer space? So cute. He doesn't know it's impossible. way that he thinks, oh, like, you know, and I don't want to destroy that wonder part of his head. So I said, of course, let's do it, buddy. Again, I don't know what October has to do with any of it. He just said that. 
And he said, yeah, I've never been there before. But man, what a picture. I've never been there before, let's go. I wanna see that, let's go. And I almost wonder if that is what Jesus meant when he said you have to become like a small child, the way there is no box that contains what my son thinks is possible. The way he thinks that, hey, if my dad's involved, we can go to outer space. Maybe that's how we should view our heavenly father. That if my heavenly father calls me to it, he'll see me through it. That there is nothing that is too big for him. So I don't need to worry about the how. I just simply need to come on board and say, let's go. You stand up to your feet with me. If you need any more reminder that this is how we should approach God, that we shouldn't let our wonder be stolen by the things of this earth. Yes, we have worries. Yes, we have concerns. But let's first focus our wonder on who it belongs. I love Romans 8, 15. And the message paraphrase says this, this resurrection life you have received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. And how many of us are living timid, grave tending, nine to five grind so I can earn money so I can maybe really enjoy the last 10 years of this life. Come on, there's more than that. The resurrection life you have received is not timid, is not grave tending, but look at this, it's adventurously expectant. When is the last time you dared to be adventurously expectant? Greeting God with a childlike what's next. Man, that what's next question can look a lot of different ways. For some of us, it's like, oh man, what is gonna go wrong next? What's gonna happen next? How am I gonna get out of this situation? Or maybe if we could just shift our wonder higher, if we could turn our eyes to where they belong, we would say, God, what's next? Where are you taking me next? Because I'm just along for the ride and I'm here for it. And if you're calling me to it, you'll see me through it. And I can't wait to be blown away at the way you are going to move in my heart and in my life. Let's recapture our wonder this Christmas season. Let's refocus our wonder. Let's revive that wonder. Let's open our eyes fully to see what God has for us. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.